Well, let me just begin by sharing this with you. Most companies or institutions, they have on their desk the, uh, the evaluation forms. And, of course, you know what evaluation forms are. It's to, uh, to evaluate their workers or their staff. And, uh, and, and they, they use that as an option to either give them an, a satisfactory or an unsatisfactory rating. For instance, if, if they get a, uh, an unsatisfactory evaluation, then the chances of them getting a raise or a bonus or even a promotion is diminished. And here's the thing, that even when getting an unsatisfactory uh, evaluation, it's too late to, to change that evaluation, especially when you're sitting in the office discussing your performance. However, if you receive a satisfactory evaluation, then it's, it's, you, the, the benefits are free and open for you to receive the, the, the bonuses, the raises, chances of promotion. And it's, it's the company's way of expressing their appreciation for a job well done. You know, for, for, going, for doing, you know, going above and beyond the call of duty. So, in the earth, we have evaluation, but there's going to be a day where you and I are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be evaluated for what we've done on earth. And here's the thing. The question that we should ask ourselves is, what would our evaluation be like if we were to stand before the presence of God in the judgment seat of God? And knowing that there's going to be a day where we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, where we're going to be evaluated for everything we've done, what should be our attitude and how do we prepare ourselves? So tonight I want to talk to you about the subject on the judgment seat of Christ. The title of this message is At the Judgment Seat. And tonight we're going to focus on three basic things. Number one, what is the judgment seat of Christ? Number two, what takes place at the judgment seat? And then number three, how do we prepare ourselves for that day? How do we prepare ourselves in this life, on this earth, for that day? So if you have your Bibles with you, go to Romans chapter 14 and we begin reading in verse 10. Verse 10 says, but why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall stand, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. So Paul was talking about the group of Christians in the Roman church, many of them were Christian Jews who were trying to force their convictions on the newly saved Gentiles, trying to tell them to be circumcised and what days to observe and when to, uh, to, to fast and forcing their conviction on them. And when they didn't follow suit, they would judge them and condemn them. And Paul was simply saying, don't judge each other because there's someone much greater who's going to be doing a judge on your part and on your life. He says, so therefore, let the judging be in the hands of the one who knows how to judge, who judges righteously and impartially. And so we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, which is the bema, which means the tribunal or, or a throne. It's a place where in heaven where Jesus is going to sit and evaluate everything we do in life. That word judgment in the Greek means krima. And that's an interesting word because what that word means is this. It's a decision resulting on an investigation. <coughs> Stop and think about that. Everything we do in life, our actions, our thoughts, our priorities, our intentions, our motives... Everything we do in life is being investigated by God. So when the day comes when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that investigation is already done. And now he's about to share it with all of us. His evaluation or investigation 
of our lives. Think about that. Paul says, if we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That means this is the type of judgment that pertains only to Christians. It's not the final judgment uh, where, where we call the white throne, the great white throne of judgment, where all unbelievers must stand before God and be judged. It's not that kind of a judgment. It's a judgment that all believers will come and face and be judged based on what they've done. I like what Hebrews 10, uh, 17 says, because you have to understand that it's not a judgment. It's not a place where we stand there and uh, we're going to be put on trial and all of our sins are going to be brought out. That's not the kind of judgment, because according to Hebrews 10 and verse 17, God says their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's because of our sins have been forgiven and washed clean by the blood of the lamb. So it's not going to be that type of judgment. This has nothing to do with sin, but it has everything to do with our stewardship on earth. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you were a high school teacher. And your son was a student in your class. But your student, your son, he's acting up, you know, cutting up and just acting like a clown and being a distraction. So you send him to the principal's office and give him a detention. Now, you're not judging your son as your son. You're judging him as a student. Because when he comes home from his detention, he still is your son. However, that does not take away the fact that he still has a responsibility to do good as a student. Let me give you another example. Let's say you own a business. And your daughter was working for you. And you put her on the cash register. And she's working there and she's sort of, you know, taking a little bit from, from the cash register and putting it in her pocket. So you find out about it and you fire her. Now, are you firing her from being your daughter? No. You don't judge her as your daughter because she's your daughter from birth. However, you can judge her as an employee. So therefore, you penalized her because she wasn't doing or performing the job that she was supposed to be performing. She was judged because of as an employee. Well, in the same way, and I'm getting ahead of myself, so let me slow down. All Christians bear two relationships with God. We bear a family relationship as children, and we bear, we bear a relationship of service. So, every, so when at the judgment seat of Christ, when we stand before Christ, we all will be there because we belong there as children of God. But we will be judged by how we honored Christ as servants on this earth. That's the kind of judgment that we will all stand before God and be judged upon. So, and, and that's important to understand. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So this judgment will not determine our salvation or our eternal destiny. But it has everything to do with our stewardship on earth. What will take place at the judgment seat of Christ? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That word bad is actually the word worthless in the Greek. So the purpose of this judgment is threefold. First thing is our stewardship. That is, what have you done with what God has given you? Many of us have gifts, talents, abilities. Many of us have financial or material resources. Many of us have plenty of opportunities or assignments. What have you done with what God has given to you? What have you done with the gifts that God has given you? What have you done with the assignment that God has given you? What have you done with the opportunities that God has made available for you? What have you done with the material blessings or, or the financial resources that God has given you? Know that God is investigating everything that we do in life. So it's the stewardship on earth. The second thing is our priorities. What is your priority in life? Jesus talks about priority in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, where he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy and corrupt and where thieves will come and steal. 
But instead he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart? What do you consider your treasure? And what are you laying up in store for your treasure? Priorities. Third thing is motives. Bible tells us that God doesn't judge a man by outward appearance. He judges a man by what's in his heart. On that day at the judgment seat, the Lord will reveal what he saw in your heart. So Christ will be evaluating and giving an account of our stewardship, our motives, and our priorities concerning our Christian lives, how we lived our lives, and, and the quality of the Christian service that we provided here on this earth. And here's the thing. Once you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, it's too late to change that evaluation. While you're standing before the Lord, talking about your performance, it's too late. Because by that time, all the investigations has already been done. Now he's come up with evaluation, and this is your evaluation. At the judgment seat of Christ, he will determine the degree of faithfulness that you've provided for him on this earth. And he will also determine the degree of eternal rewards or lack thereof. So Paul makes it very clear in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that every believer, how many believers are here this tonight? Every one of us who are believers, who have made Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our lives. And here's a wonderful thing about this. On that day, as we're standing face to face, one on one with the Lord Jesus, as he's handing out his evaluation, the entire history of the church will be there watching and waiting. That means Moses will be there. Abraham will be there. Joseph will be there. David will be there. Enoch will be there. Martin Luther will be there. John Wesley will be there. George Mueller will be there. R.W. Schambach will be there. Kenneth Hagin Sr. will be there. The entire history of the church will be there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, our works will be judged by fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I want to read this to you from the New Living Translation. Verse 12 says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, Wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. Verse 14. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. In verse 17, it says that every man's work will, shall be made manifest or shall be made open or public. And what every man has built on that foundation shall be seen by all. And if it endures the fire, you will receive a reward. But if it does not endure and the quality of your service or your stewardship on this earth is considered worthless, then it will be burned up. Look at what it says in the amplified version of verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 3. It says, the work that each one will, be, will become plainly, openly known, shown for what it is, for the day of Christ will disclose and declare it critically, 
or because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test and critically appraise the character and worth of the work that each person has done. So as a result of this judgment of the believer's work, there will be great rewards, but there will also be great losses. You know, the Bible talks about rewards and talks about the crowns that we will receive, the crown of life, the crown of, of righteousness, the crown of glory, all the wonderful things. I think what a great loss would be when you stand before Christ and all of your works had been burned. And when they're issuing the crowns and you don't get any. And the Bible says that all those who receive crowns will take their crowns and throw it at the feet of Jesus. What a great loss when you have no crowns to throw at the Lord Jesus' feet. I think that would be a great loss. On that great day, we'll reveal the character of every believer's work. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> it is a vain thing to go about life working and thinking that you're doing God's work only to find out that everything you've done is vain and worthless. Everything you've done will be burnt. Scripture in the Bible that says in, in Psalm 127, 1, where it says, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Any work apart from God is futile and worthless. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's take a bit, look at this verse a little clearly and a little closely. The first three words in that verse says, for we must. That means it is necessary that we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be evaluated. That means that it cannot be avoided. There's no way around it. You can't hide from it. And you certainly can't postpone it. Evaluation of our lives must take place. And then the word appear. So for we must all appear. That word appear means to make apparent or manifest or to make known or to be shown openly. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The true character of our work and our lives will be revealed before Christ for all to see. And there's no disguising or hiding from it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5 it says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring, uh, who will, bring both, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, then each one's praise will come from God. So what Paul is saying is that at the judgment seat, the hidden things of darkness that is in your heart will be openly revealed. He also talks about the counsels of our hearts. That is the, the purposes and designs and intents of a person's heart. All your plans will be made manifest. All of your purpose on earth will be plain and open. Let me read that to you from the Amplified Version of 1 Corinthians 4 and 5. So do not make any hasty or premature judgments before the time when the Lord comes again, for he will both bring to light the secret things that are now hidden in darkness and disclose and expose the secret aims, motives, and purposes of hearts. Then every man will receive his due commendation from God. One of the things I've learned about standing in the presence of God and, and being judged at the judgment seat of Christ is that when the Lord Jesus hands out uh, rewards, some of the rewards also be verbal commendation. The Bible talks about everyone will receive praise from him. You know, your child does something wonderful, you know, gets an A in class or, or does something great. And so what do you do? You praise him. You praise her. You tell her, what a good job. I'm so proud of you. Or, well done, good and faithful servant. Verbal commendation. There are there going to be some people who receive crowns and verbal commendation. There are people who are just going to receive verbal commendations. And there are some who, who may not have any verbal commendations. 
Go back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. We must stand before Christ where our character, where the character of our work will be seen for what it is. Our lives will be known and our motives and our priorities will be made public. Let me read 2 Corinthians 5.10 in the Amplified Version. It says, for we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive his pay according to what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Considering what his purpose and motives have been and what he has achieved, what he's been busy with and given himself and his attention to accomplishing. All those God will be investigating. It says, according to what he has done in his body. You know, our bodies are more than what we think it is. You know, the Bible talks about our bodies being a vessel or or a dwelling place for our spirit man. It also talks about how our bodies are the sanctuary of the Holy Ghost. But it's more than that. Let me let's go to uh, go to first Corinthians chapter six and let me show you how significant our bodies are on this earth, because we are going to be judged based on what we've done in this body. First Corinthians chapter six and verse 13 says this foods are for the stomach and the stomach are for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. In other words, your Lord, your body belongs to God for his service. It is for his use. It belongs to him now. Look down in verse 20. You were bought with a price, purchased with a preciousness and paid for, made his own, So then honor God and bring glory to him in what? In your body. So not only is our body of God's, not only is it for God's use, but it also is to glorify him and honor him. Go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I'll read that to you from the Amplified Version. Romans 12 and verse 1 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg you, In view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of what? Let's say it together. And what? Our bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Our bodies play a very significant role on this earth. As a matter of fact, I like to say that this body is not only the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, but it is the Holy Spirit's launching pad to express His power and glory through us in all that we do in life. It is His launching pad to carry out God's will and purpose with power and with effectiveness. Our bodies play a very significant role. So the question I have for you is, what are you doing in your bodies? Are you offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God and well-pleasing? Are you allowing God to take charge of your body because it's His? Are you honoring and glorifying God in your body? Are you allowing the Holy Ghost to use your body with power and with effectiveness. Go to Romans chapter 6. And verse 13 in the Amplified Version says this. Do not continue offering or yielding your bodily, your bodily members and your faculties to sin as instruments or tools of wickedness. But offer and yield yourself to God as though you have been raised from the dead to perpetual life. And your bodily members and faculties to God, presenting them as implements or instruments of righteousness. Look down in verse 19. 
I am speaking in familiar human terms because of your natural limitations. For as you yielded your body members and faculties as servants to impurity and ever-increasing lawlessness, so now yield your bodily members and faculties once for all as servants to righteousness, right being and right doing, which leads to sanctification. Our bodies are to be used as instruments of righteousness. When we do that, we can assure ourselves of this, that when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we will receive a favorable evaluation because we've yielded our bodies to carry out God's work. So our bodies play a very significant role as God's vehicle or vessel for his service. I like what 2 Timothy 2 and verse 21 says, and I'll read that to you in the Amplified Version. So whoever cleanses himself with what is ignoble and unclean, who separates himself from contact and with contaminating and corrupting influences, will then himself be a vessel set apart and useful for honorable and noble purposes, consecrated and profitable to the master, fit and ready for any good work. Man, I tell you. You want to say, you might say that again? I'll read that again. So whoever cleanses himself from what is ignoble and unclean, who separates himself from contact with contaminating and corrupting influences, will then himself be a vessel set apart and useful for honorable and noble purposes, consecrated and profitable to the master, fit and ready for any good work our bodies play a very important role all must come into review and man must give an account for all go to Ephesians chapter 6 in 2 Corinthians 5.10 it also says that each one may receive the things that are in the body that, that is done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. In other words, we're going to receive something at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to receive something for the good that we've done, but we're also going to receive something for the bad or the worthless thing that we've done. So you wouldn't think about those things. Now, the Bible's not really clear as to what exactly we will receive if the things that we've done on earth is worthless. But there is a couple of things that give us an indication of what will take place. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 8, for good deeds will bring good responses in this way, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Any good thing you do on there, you will receive the same from the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, which I read to you earlier, says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. We will receive rewards. We will receive praise. We will see the good that we've done on this earth. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just as the good will, will respond to good things, the bad, the worthless thing, will also bring another response. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15 says this, If any man's work is buried, he will suffer loss. And again, I want you to really focus on that word, suffer loss. I mean, I don't want to experience that. I can't, can't even imagine what that will be like. But if you are standing there, and if you're like me, and I'm, and I'm waiting for my rewards to come, and my rewards are not coming. I'm waiting for a crown, it's not, it's not coming. I'm waiting for a word of praise, a commendation, and that's not coming. I'm going to be one indiv- uh, uh, disappointed individual. Because that day will not only be a day of rejoicing, but it's also going to be a day of disappointment. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
we know what the judgment seat of Christ is. We know what takes place at the judgment seat of Christ. But the question is, how do we prepare for that day? There was a story I read, and I want to read this to you tonight, about a man named William Gladstone. He was a man during the 19th century. Some of you may not know him. But he was considered to be one of the greatest public servants uh, in the history of England. But he was also a great man of God, a committed Christian who always went to church. Uh, he, he taught Sunday school classes throughout his adult life. And as a matter of fact, when he was going to school, one of his ambition was uh, to become a minister of the gospel. But his father, who was a very strong-willed man, insisted that he get involved in politics. So that's what he did. And so shortly before he died, uh, close to the turn of the century, <clears throat> he was giving a speech. In this speech, he was sharing about a story about this young man, a young ambitious man who came to him looking for some advice concerning life. And uh, he, he began to share how the, the young man told him how, he, how much he admired Mr. Gladstone more than any man alive. And he wanted to seek advice about life and about his career. So he began to share to, with the audience this dialogue that he had with this young man. And it goes like this. He asked the young man, what do you hope to do when you graduate from college? And the young man replied, well, Lord, uh, sir, I, I, I hope to attend the law school just as you did. And Mr. Gladstone responds, that's a noble goal. What then? He says, well, sir, I hope to practice law and make a good name for myself, defending the poor and the outcasts of society just as you did. And Mr. Gladstone says, well, that's a noble purpose. What then? Well, sir. I hope one day to stand in Parliament, for Parliament, and become a servant for the people, even as you did. And Mr. Gladstone says, that too is noble. What then? So the young man continues, well, I would hope to be able to serve in the Parliament with great distinction and integrity and a concern for justice, even as you did. And Mr. Gladstone says, what then? Well, sir, I would hope to serve in the government as prime minister with the same vigor, dedication, vision, and integrity as you did. Mr. Gladstone said, and what then? Well, I would hope to retire with honors and write my memoirs, even as you are presently doing, so that others could learn from my mistakes and my triumphs. And he says... All that is very noble. What then? So the young man thought for a moment and says, well, sir, I suppose I will then die. And Mr. Gladstone says, that's correct. And what then? <laughs> so the young man looked puzzled and he said, well, sir. And he answered hesitantly and he said, I've never given that much thought. So this is what Mr. Gladstone says. Young man, the only advice I have for you is for you to go home, read your Bible, and think about eternity. Anything that we do in life would not amount to anything unless it's done with an eternal perspective. The way we prepare for that day is to be Come eternally minded in all that we do. Think about eternity. Look at things from an eternal perspective. What should our attitudes be knowing that there's going to be a day that we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and receive our evaluation? Are we living with an eternal view? Are we living with an eternal perspective of life? Are we living as though Christ is coming today? Because let me say this. When, 
we have the proper view of eternity, that will drastically affect how we live, how we make our decisions, how we treat others, how we conduct our lives, and how we prepare for that day of judgment. How do you do that? By simply being eternally minded. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that your life becomes a life that is preparing for eternity. You're not living for life today. You're living for life for eternity. It's a life that is always mindful of the responsibility that we have here on earth, knowing that we're going to face judgment. Everything we do in life is in preparation of hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul understood what it meant to be eternally minded. Listen to what he says in chapter 5 of verse 9. He said, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. In the King James Version, it says, we make it, uh, we, we, we labor, whether present or absent, to be accepted of the Lord. That word labor, the literal meaning of that word means to be ambitious in doing or attaining something. The Amplified Version reads it like this. Therefore, whether we are at home, on earth, away from him, or away from him and with him, we are constantly ambitious and strive earnestly to be pleasing to him. And the question is, why would Paul have his goal aim and, and ambition to live that kind of life. Because what he says in the next verse, for we shall all stand or appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There's a sense of urgency in Paul's ministry that everything he did was always with the view of eternity. Even when he talked about his conflict between death and life, how he wanted to be with the Lord because when he saw death, he didn't see death as the end of all things. He saw death as being present with God. He couldn't wait to be in the presence of the Lord, but he knew he had to be on this earth. But everything he did on this earth was in preparation for the day that he had to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul was very mindful of this fact. It was his motivation. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 4. This motivation enabled him to persevere the hardship of his ministry. It caused him to stand and to endure and to stick it out to the end throughout his old ministry. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8 says this. We are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Now, if that was us writing that, it would sound something like this. I broke my nails, and I don't know what to do. I got laid off and I don't know how to pay my bills. That person said something mean to me and I'm not going to talk to that person anymore. Are you getting what I'm talking about here? Our, what we go through in life is nothing compared to what Paul went through. Yet he was motivated to endure such hardship because he was eternally minded. He was looking heavenward. He was looking for what's ahead. And I'm getting ahead of myself. Look down in verse 16 of that same chapter. Therefore, he says, in spite of all that, he says, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, think about that. He considers what he went through as a light affliction, which is but for a moment. Just a momentary thing 
is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul wasn't thinking about his present condition. He was focusing on what was ahead. What he was about to experience. Paul had this eternal perspective in him. He goes on to say in verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. The things that we go through in life are simply temporary. It's only momentarily. Why? Because the things that are not seen are eternal. You can't tell me that Paul was not eternally minded. You cannot tell me that Paul and everything he did was from an eternal perspective, with an eternal view. He made it his aim. He made it his ambition. He made it his goal to live life that is well-pleasing, acceptable to God because he knew that there will be a day when he'll stand before the Lord Jesus. So just as ambitious as people are today to for fame and fortune and recognition, we, like Paul, ought to have the same ambition, same goal, same aim to live life that is well-pleasing to God. With an eternal perspective that one day we will all stand before him. A life with an eternal perspective. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Everything Paul did was heaven-bound, heaven-ward. Paul thought of the things concerning heaven, and he was not look, he's willing to look heavenward. And that's where his thought and his focus was. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes from an eternal perspective, verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. He says in verse 2, set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. When our focus is more on earthly things, that takes away our eternal perspective. It is Satan's job to always attack... Whoops. Technical difficulty here. Okay, can you all hear me? Okay. It was Satan's plot to attack us, our minds especially, with doubt, with fear, and with every distraction to keep us from being eternally minded. Trying to get us caught up in this earth, causing us to become more earthly minded. Focusing on what's going on on the earth and, and forgetting that there's eternity. If we find ourselves focusing too much on today, on the economy, on the terrorism that's going on, and not, not saying we, we ignore that or diminish that, we, we want to pray for that. But if we're caught up with that, forgetting that those things are temporary. Reminding ourselves those things are temporary because there's something that's far greater that is eternal. God wants us to focus on our lives to prepare ourselves for eternity. Every day, day to day, moment by moment, our lives and our minds should be eternally minded. Heavenward, if you will. Paul, as we know, was a great man of God and he accomplished much. But he wasn't, willing, he wasn't willing to attempt to accomplish anything with his flesh. Because he knew, again, being eternally minded, he knew that the only way he was going to succeed in life was with the help of the Holy Spirit. You and I cannot succeed in life and stay on that eternal course Without the help of the Holy Ghost. We have to yield to the Spirit of God. And allow Him to carry us through life. 
to please God and to do all the things that we know that will please God and that will be acceptable to God so that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we can assure ourselves in knowing that we will receive crowns. I want crowns. I want a bushel of crowns. I want to have crowns that I can just throw at the Lord's feet. Wait a minute, Moses, my turn. <laughs> Don't cut him in front of me, Abraham. But the only way we can do that is by walking in the fullness of his spirit. Relying on the spirit of God to help us every day to stay focused and eternally minded. Every day of our lives, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. Now, you might say, well, that's impossible to do. Well, you know what? You've already defeated yourself by saying that. It's not impossible because it's not up to you, but the Holy Ghost that is in you. All he wants for us is to yield to the Holy Ghost and then walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God. Because then we can be successful in everything that we do in life, knowing that we're doing exactly what we're supposed to do. Using the gifts and the talents and the opportunities that God provides us. Paul had a heavenly mindset. And he committed himself to earthly service knowing that the day was coming. Paul knew that he would be spending eternity in heaven. But he also knew that his days on earth was numbered. So he needed to make each day count. You and I, we only have a short time on this earth. Because we know that Jesus will come one day. But while we're on this earth, let's make each day count. Let's make sure that everything we do in life is with an eternal perspective. That everything we do in life is heavenward. That our minds are always set to things above and not on things on the earth. Realizing that everything in life is temporal. But there's something far greater that is eternal. Do you ever imagine... As I get ready to close. What the eternal result will be of your actions or your decisions. I mean that's a scary thought. Thinking about. Your decisions and your actions and and the result that it that it has. I mean wouldn't it be wonderful to live each day. You know. uh, With an eternal perspective like Paul. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have an effect in someone's life when it comes to relationships? I mean, as far as relationship is concerned, is the person that you meet up with saying he was a good man, he was a good woman, and he shared Christ with me and helped me lead me to, to the Lord? Or will they say, well, he was a nice person, but they didn't do anything and they didn't talk to me about the Lord? How about missed opportunities? When you know that you're supposed to be doing something for someone or supposed to meet up with and talk to somebody, but you didn't do it because of priorities or because you were busy or because of fear or or maybe just pure laziness and realize you missed a huge opportunity to be a minister to someone. Or how about when I have a niece who was in the hospital and uh, she was there for a few days. But when we went there, I tell you, she was, it didn't matter what her condition was. She was witnessing to everybody and everything in that hospital. Every nurse, every janitor, every doctor that came in her room heard about the Lord Jesus. She was living with an eternal perspective. She was having an effect on people's lives. Or if your car broke down and the serviceman comes to fix your car and he walks away saved because you led him to the Lord. 
What are we doing with our lives? What are we doing with the relationships that we come across? What are we doing with the opportunities that come our way? Are we living life with an eternal perspective? Or are we just living our lives? Ask yourself this question tonight. If you were to stand before the Lord Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ today and give an account of your life, your priorities, your motives, your actions, everything you did in life, what would his evaluation reflect about you? I want to leave you with that question. Because only you can answer that. But while we're here in this life, it's not too, not too late to change the evaluation that God is already setting for us. This is the time to make those changes. Because when you're standing in his presence, that's, it's too late to make any changes, any alterations. Let's make those changes today. Let's make those changes now, shall we? Decide today to start thinking more about eternity and less about what's going on on this earth. Because we're looking forward to receiving the crowns of righteousness, the crowns of glory, and all the reward that God has to offer. And then hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. For the opportunity, Lord God, to live life with an eternal perspective. Father, we thank you for the Holy Ghost to help us to live that kind of life. Because, Lord, we know we can't do it ourselves. But, Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord God, to please you in all that we do. To live life, Lord God, that will be effective for those around us. Father, preparing life for that day when we stand before you. And, Lord, I just thank you so much for loving us and blessing us and using us in such a mighty way. Father, tonight we declare to live life from now on, from this day forward, with an eternal view and with an eternal perspective. Lord, that from now on we will be eternally minded in everything we do, in our motives, in our intentions, in our plans, our purposes, in all that we do in life.